This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn, and this is episode 46 of the On The Banks Podcast, our Game 3 Rutgers football preview. You can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11, and, of course, you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation. There are many ways to listen to this episode and every episode of the On The Banks podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Just search On The Banks podcast. And of course, you can find all of our podcasts and so much more great content by going to onthebanks.com. I am so excited to bring you episode 46. As I said before, our Game 3 Rutgers football preview. I will be joined to talk Rutgers football by NJ.com's James Cratch and by A.J. Black of BC Maven to talk Boston College football. So as I just said, Boston College week, it's here, and I think without a doubt the most important game in the Chris Ash era, and frankly, if you don't think that, I I personally believe there's not much of a debate, and I fail to understand why you wouldn't think that it is the most important game in the Chris Ash era. You know, sure, playing teams you match up with like Purdue, Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, and others, they're important to gauge just how far this team has come, but really none of them are to Rutgers what Boston College is. A traditional Big East foe, a regional rival, a team that actively goes into New Jersey to recruit, and a team that, frankly, Rutgers has equal talent to. Those other teams I mentioned, sure, they may check some of those boxes off, but none of them check off all like Boston College. For Chris Ash, this is the best opportunity I think he has to inject some positivity into this program. A loss and you head to top 15 Michigan with a record of 1-2. and two. A win and you guarantee yourself at worst a 2-2 two and two start and some juice heading into the Maryland game in game number 5. If you're Chris Ash, you have the opportunity to make a statement not only to Boston College on the field, but in recruiting as well. You know, BC has almost 20 New Jersey players on their roster. So this is an interesting opportunity for Coach Ash to say to players choosing between the Scarlet Knights and the Eagles that, hey, head to head, we beat them. At the end of the day, however, you know, this is an opportunity. One, I think, that really makes or breaks this season. Look, it's only game number three, but in the Big Ten, you need to take advantage against the teams you can beat. And Rutgers can beat Boston College, especially at home. But at the end of the day, it's up to Chris Ash, and most importantly, it's up to this team, to go out on Saturday in front of a hopefully good crowd at SHI Stadium and do what a lot of fans want them to do. That is to go out there and beat Boston College. Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. Joining me to discuss this very important Game 3 for Rutgers football as the Scarlet Knights take on Boston College is NJ.com's James Cratch. Cratch, as always, thanks for coming on the podcast once again and, of course, giving me some of your time. My pleasure, Lance. Glad to be here. So let's start with this past week, a bye week for Rutgers, that extra week to game plan for Boston College and what I said is arguably the biggest game of the season, the most important game of the season. How much of an advantage do you think that bye week gives Rutgers going into Saturday? You know, I don't know. I guess you know you, you can get healthy, but at the same time, McLean Carter is you know the biggest injury facing this team, and I don't know if the bye week is necessarily you know helped him. I think it's helped him in terms of in terms of time, but even then, like I don't know, it's a guarantee. Even if he gets cleared that he's going to start a quarterback on Saturday, um, I guess it allows you to get more preparation. 
Uh, but I, I also have always thought that's kind of overrated, the whole, you know, extra week to prepare. I mean, I think more than anything, it's the health situation. And this team is relatively healthy, all things we see, except the quarterback position. And again, like, I'm sure the extra time obviously helps McLean Carter, but I don't know if it's going to mean the difference between him starting and not starting. So I think it's a little bit of an added advantage for Rutgers, but not too much. And, you know, granted, they haven't played in a couple weeks, which I sometimes I think the bye week can kind of hurt a team. Maybe they start a little slow. They're a little bit tentative at the start. Well, BC, you know, they're coming off a bad loss. Like, they're going to want to get out there immediately. They're going to be eager to get going. So... Uh, I think it could help them, it could hurt them. I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent about how much of an impact it will make. You know, you mentioned the quarterback, and it wouldn't be Rutgers football if there wasn't quarterback uncertainty. Chris Ash said in his press conference this week, McLean Carter is close after suffering a concussion against Iowa, so we still don't know the starter yet for Saturday's game as we await whether Carter gets cleared or not. In your opinion, how much does him playing or him not playing sway Rutgers' chances in Saturday's game? I don't think it makes that big of an impact on Lance Mouse. I think that no matter – I'm very kind of – when Carter came in here, I think my expectations for him were a lot lower than the most fans. You know, I, I just thought, you know, this is a guy who is fourth college. You know, it, it's a guy who's never really started consistently in his career at, at the FBS level. Uh, you know, I watched his game tape. I know he's a little dinged up in the last game Texas Tech played last season. He threw a lot of passes that should have been picked off. Uh, I thought it was kind of an uneven performance. Uh, even when he played against UMass, I know people got very excited because the offense was, was you know, kind of scoring points for the first time. But he still threw three picks against UMass, um, played very poorly against Iowa before he left the game with injury. Uh, and I look at Art, obviously, I mean, we didn't really see a whole lot out, out of Art against Iowa. But as McNulty said today, he's kind of thrown in there without a lot of practice during the week. So... Whoever starts, I don't really think it makes that big of a difference. I think Rutgers is still getting shaky offense when that guy gets out there. So we all saw Rutgers struggle mightily on offense against Iowa. Both quarterbacks threw interceptions. Both felt a lot of pressure. They both missed some throws. Of course, you broke it all down on your weekly film reviews that have now become so famous within the Rutgers community. From what you saw, were the quarterbacks the ones most to blame for the passing deficiencies, or should it be kind of a shared blame with the line and the receivers as well? I felt early on in the game, Rutgers was pass protecting relatively well, and McCarter missed a lot of throws. I think as the game kind of wore on, the pass protection broke down, became kind of more of a 50-50 situation. And the second half with Art, I just think it was just, you're down 20 points. You know, you, your starter's out. You know, you, the game is basically over. But it wasn't a blowout to the point where Iowa could kind of put the second team in, call the dogs off. They're still, you know, a 20-point game is still relatively competitive in a football coach's mind. So I think that it was more trended more toward the protection and just the overall game situation in the second half. But I thought in the first half, Carter, there were some, several throws there that Carter should have hit, and if he does hit them, I think it's a totally different ball game. You know, I don't think Blackshear and Pacheco touched the ball enough against Iowa. I believe 23 or 24 touches maybe combined between the two of them. Obviously, they're Rutgers' two biggest playmakers and need to be involved as often as they can. What did you think of the play calling overall, how they were used against Iowa, and how Coach Ash and Coach McNulty involved them more this week against BC? I think you'll definitely see them more involved. I thought the play calling, you know, on one hand, <laughs> the numbers, they didn't get enough touches. And I thought that there were maybe some times where Rutgers went away from the run too quickly. On the other hand, 
they clearly were not going to move the ball, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust up and down the field and score points against Iowa, and they did fall behind. So I, I tend to think that you're going to see Rutgers try to kind of – I think the biggest thing for Rutgers is they got to, you know, either get a lead or, like, be within a possession the entire way so they can keep running the ball, keep trying to use the run to set up a play-action passing game. I think when they fall behind becomes the issue. Um, and, again, they didn't have a lot of opportunities at Iowa – because, you know, the, the Hawkeyes kind of dominated the time of possession in the game. I think that's also another factor. They've got to get keep the offense on the field and sustain drives in order to get those touch numbers up for, for Blackshear to check up. And I was going to ask you about keeping it close because we've seen over the last couple of years, once Rutgers gets down 10 points, 14 points, 20 points, the game is, is basically over. I guess the UMass game, you know, not not to not to be included but you know when Rutgers gets down the game seems to be over because they don't have the offense to catch up how important is it that Rutgers gets off to a a very fast start maybe even gets a lead on Boston College and kind of puts the Eagles back on their toes and has a little bit of momentum as the game goes on oh I think it's very important I mean the way the Rutgers offense has functioned at Iowa for most of the last you know few seasons it's a team where they get down two scores they're basically done you know, they don't have much offense to kind of come back. And, you know, I, I joked in film reviews that they're kind of like a triple option team without <laughs> the benefits of a triple option. But, no, like, it's a team that runs the option, like Army or Navy or an Air Force or Georgia Tech back in the day, it's all about staying on schedule. And when a team, that, you know, that doesn't throw, that doesn't have much of a passing attack or, or has to rely on one style of, of offense to be successful – when they fall behind by 10, 14, 17 points, it's very difficult to come back. They have to stay on schedule and kind of stay in pace with the game. So while I look at Rutgers is, you know, when they're down seven points, even when the offense is struggling, you, know, you can get a special team score. You can get a defensive score. You can get a big turnover to kind of set you up for a, a gift touchdown. You know, when you're down 10 points, it's really hard to come back if all you're going to really have going for you is Pacheco and Blackshear in the run game. And some quick, you know, quick passes that are not sustained. So I think it's very important that they get after a quick start. Because if they fall behind by 10 points in the first half, you basically can write him off at that point. And, you know, I feel like we have to mention him because he had such a great game against Iowa. But Adam Corsak has really turned into quite the weapon. And, of course, you don't want to, you know, continuously have to punt like they did against Iowa. You want those long sustained drives either ending in field goals or ending in touchdowns. But how beneficial is it to have a guy like Adam Korsak to know that you could really flip the field and take it from or punt it from your own 40-yard line and pin BC or whoever it is back in their own five? Oh, it's critical. I mean, I think Rutgers is squandering. You know, we talk about like, you know, quick tens, but like we talk about how the Giants are squandering, you know, the first two years of Saquon Barkley's prime. Rutgers has squandered, you know, so far it looks like two great seasons from Adam Korsak. The fact that he, had the game he had at Iowa, with all the punts down inside the 5, inside the 10, you know, all the field position battles that he won, and they scored zero points, pathetic. You know, a punt is an offensive play, and right now it's the best offensive play Rutgers has going for it. To be able to use Adam Korsak as a weapon, he kept them in that game single-handedly, along with the defense, with his kicks. And I, I don't know if Rutgers has ever appreciated you know, what they have in Corsac, I think they're starting to more and more. But I also think that they don't really – it's just a waste that they have a guy like Corsac, a puncher who can be so lethal in the field position game, and yet they have no offensive ability to, to capitalize on that and score points off of him. 
So moving on to Boston College, they are coming off a bad loss to Kansas. Like Chris Ash, Steve Adazio is most likely on the hot seat. So the game means just as much for BC as it does for Rutgers. Just from what you've seen of the Eagles so far, what do they do that you think could give Rutgers some problems? Well, my biggest issue when I look at the Eagles is obviously A.J. Dillon, tremendous running back. Anthony Brown, he's a solid quarterback. I think if Anthony Brown, the St. John Vianney product, was here, he's probably the starting quarterback. You know, one, I think you have to be worried about Dillon in the big runs in the run game. We've seen Rutgers struggle giving up these big, gashing runs. You know, last season, a little bit against UMass uh, in Iowa. You know, that's been a, a big play. It's been a big issue for the defense. But the second thing is, I look at this BC team, yes, they struggled. Might, like, the defense was abysmal against Kansas. They it got doubled up at home. It's inexcusable. But they still scored 24 points. And can Rutgers score 24 points against a Power 5 opponent? <laughs> the last time they did that was against it was Maryland two seasons ago. So that's my big issue. I think the biggest issue when I look at this game is, I think Boston College is going to score points against a Rutgers defense that's had some issues in the secondary and has no pass rush. I just don't I, – I can't say the same about Rutgers. So even if you if you, even if you think BC's defense is abysmal, I don't see this becoming a game where all of a sudden Rutgers is going to go out and score 40 points on them. I think it could become a shootout-type game, and I just don't think – I think Boston College can win a shootout. I don't think Rutgers can. Do you think this could be the game that kind of sways the fan base in one direction or the other? Because, you know, I look at it as Rutgers wins, they're 2-1 heading to Michigan, compared to a loss is 1-2 going to Michigan with a 1-3 most likely after, and then a tough Maryland team to potentially put you at 1-4. Is this the game that either brings hope or kind of makes fans' opinions even louder depending on the result? Well, I think if you lose this game, I think Chris Ash loses the entire fan base, except for like one or two people. If you win this game, I think he holds on to some people. And maybe he just he injects some energy and excitement into the program that they really haven't had in a while. And I think that it's not going to be a, a miracle worker because you're probably going to go get your butt kicked by Michigan the next week. But it will at least you'll say they're 2-2 two and two after the first four games. There's some optimism going into that game against Maryland. And I think then all of a sudden that Maryland game becomes the next biggest game of Chris Hatch's career. Um, I think that best-case scenario, you win the game. You, you Maybe you win some hearts and minds back. You, you keep the people who still are in your corner. And you at least open up the rest of the fan base and say, hey, maybe they can finally turn the corner. But if you lose this game, I think it kind of – for most people – it'll be remove any doubt they had that, you know, this is not necessarily going to get going this season. Cratch, a couple more before I let you go. You know, it's widely believed that this game is the biggest for Chris Ash in his four years here. I think we've talked about that plenty already. It's a regional rival, a former Big East foe, someone Rutgers recruits against in New Jersey every year. Do you believe this is the biggest game of his coaching career and that he's basically coaching to save his job? Yes, I, I think so. I mean, look, I, Chris Ash is on the hot seat. You know, he's eight and thirty. I believe, I have, yeah, eight and thirty as a head coach. You know, he's all, only won three Big Ten games. He hasn't won a Big Ten game since twenty seventeen. You know, he needs to get a signature win. And I know some people debate whether or not BC is a signature win. For the for the merits of this discussion, I will say this: it's a team that is a as a regional rival. It's a former conference rival. 
and they come into New Jersey and they recruit the state extremely well. There are 17 New Jersey players on that roster, including kids that Rutgers wanted. This is you know this you can't let BC come in and beat you on your home field in this situation, especially after, after you know you're coming off an open week and you've got everything to play for, and BC is coming off a really bad loss at Kansas. You know I, I think this is it's, it's a critical game for him. It, it doesn't make the season happen. I think that you're not going to clinch a bowl berth on Saturday, but it's it, the program needs a shot in the arm. You know Chris Ash said it last year: faith without results. That's what his entire tenure has been, for the most part. This is his chance to reward the faith with one result, but a result that kind of maybe gets a little momentum behind the program. So I know people will downplay it, but I think this is a critical game for perception, for optics, for everything. Um, They've got to finally beat a brand-name opponent. I know some people say, well, they beat Purdue. You know, Purdue still is... I think under 500, under Jeff Brom, under this little spurt they've had. You know, yes, Purdue's had some big upsets, but they're not a, a Big Ten elite program at this point. Um, and, and BC's not an elite program. They're not even an elite program in the ACC, but this is a program that's on par with Rutgers, on a level playing ground. And I think if Rutgers is truly making progress and getting better, they win this football game on Saturday. Cratch, last one. BC, I believe, is a 7.5, maybe 8-point favorite. Coming off a tough, lo- a tough loss, Rutgers obviously off a bye week. In your mind, who ends up coming out victorious on Saturday afternoon? I think BC wins the game. Thirty-four, I think 31-17 is what I printed on our podcast. Uh, I just think at the end of the day, I have no confidence in Rutgers' offense being able to score points. And I think Boston College is going to be able to score points on the Rutgers' defense. Because as we saw in Iowa, they, they, they can play great for spurts. But they just kind of wear down. You know, they have depth issues. They're not much of a pass rush. So I think BC wins this game comfortably. And uh, at that point, you know, there's a lot of soul searching around for Scataway. And, and this season kind of takes on a, a, a different kind of feel. Because at that point, one and two, going to Michigan, knowing that you're going to be one and three, uh, you know, it, it's going to start to look pretty, pretty dim from here on out. James Cratch of NJ.com. Cratch, as always, thanks for joining me and coming on the podcast. Look forward to having you on again soon. Eight-time lives. Thank you. Joining me this week on the podcast to discuss Boston College is the editor-in-chief of the Boston College athletic site, BC Maven, AJ Black. AJ, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and giving me some of your time tonight. Yeah, thank you for having me on, guys. So, AJ, let's talk about this season for the Eagles so far. They're 2-1, and one, coming off a tough loss at home against Les Miles and Kansas. They did, however, beat Virginia Tech in Richmond the weeks before what is this team's identity offensively and defensively? You know, when you think of BC football, what comes to your mind on the field? So, you know, the offense hasn't changed in the years that Dazio has been head coach. It's always been a run-first, pass-second approach. And this year is no different. Obviously, they have that beast of a running back, A.J. Dillon, back there. But I think the big difference is they also have a, a change of pace back with David Bailey, who can spell – Bill Dillon anytime that he needs, you know, a breather. And he's, you know, another horse. He's about 240. He's a big dude. Uh, so you're going to get a lot of running with BC's offense. And if the run game, you know, is clicking, of course, that kind of sets up the pass. And the goal with any Adazio offense is that, you know, they're going to be able to move the ball through the air, get some first downs, but the run's going to come first. Now, the defense is a little different than in years past for Boston College. Last year, they had a very rush-heavy, uh, you know, 
pressure-heavy defense that caused a lot of sacks and a lot of turnovers. Uh, they had Zach Allen and Wyatt Ray, who were both pretty prolific uh, pass rushers on defense. They don't have that this year. I think it's been a big problem for BC. Um, they only have three sacks all year. Uh, I mean, by this point last year, Wyatt Ray had four sacks on his own. So, you know, you're not seeing the pressure. Um, and they, they, you know, it was kind of feast or famine for the first couple of games. Against Virginia Tech, they had, I think, four or five turnovers against uh, Ryan Willis in that, that offense. So I think Dazio at first said that, that was the big thing. And then against Kansas, Kansas started, you know, controlling the ball and they weren't making mistakes. And then I think that just ended up killing them. So, you know, Anthony Brown, the quarterback, he's really developed during his time as an Eagle. He's a New Jersey kid nonetheless, so he's coming home to play Rutgers. What impresses you most about him and his development from when he became the starter in 2017 till now his redshirt junior year? So he's become a much more accurate passer. Um, But I think with Brown, what you're going to see is a guy that is trying to become a leader on, on the field. Um, he's this off season, you know, he talked, he talked and Adazio talked about making Brown and Dylan like leaders on the field, because when things started to go wrong last year and there were games where they were struggling, there was no one out there that could pick them up. Now, the big issue that we saw was last week against Kansas, Brown looked good in the first half. I mean, he looked pretty good. Uh, he made some good passes. I think the big thing you see with BC is the play-action offense that really gets tight ends open. They play a big set. When they get guys to bite on defense, that spreads out the offense at the defense enough so that the tight ends can get some space. Um, and what we saw last week was Brown. Brown really struggled. He couldn't get. He was having a real hard time making his reads. He was throwing balls he shouldn't have thrown, and really struggled. So. I think it's like a Jekyll and Hyde with him, and I think until he can consistently show that he can be a good quarterback for four quarters against good teams, he's always going to be seen by BC fans as kind of a middle-of-the-road quarterback because he'll tear up bad defenses, but when he plays good ones, he can he, you can get his body language. He looks defeated out there. And I, we saw that again last week, and I think that was really ups, uh, worrisome for BC fans because I think we were – Hoping he got past that, but he definitely didn't look like it. You know, it certainly helps, like you said, to have such a great running back in A.J. Dillon in the backfield. He's an all-ACC performer a year ago, averaging over 100 yards on the ground this season through three games. Is he kind of the do-it-all guy for BC on the ground and through the air, or is he more of a workhorse, just hand him the ball and let him do his thing kind of player? Now, that's an interesting question because... 95% 95% of the time, he is just a workhorse. You'll see him just, you know, doing what Adazio does best, which is run right into the the, 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 the teeth of the defense and, 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 and churn out four to five yards of carry. However, we saw it against uh, Richmond. We've seen it a few times here and there where they will they will get him out into open space and get him the ball. He had a 50-yard reception against Richmond uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, so he has it, and it's been a goal Adazio has talked about now for two years. I just don't see it happening consistently. So I'd say he's more of a workhorse more than a dual threat running back. So defensively, two guys I saw that stood out are Mike Palmer and Max Richardson. They're number one and number two in tackles this season on the team. Are they the guys that Steve Adazio and defensive coordinator Bill Sheridan really rely on to lead that defense? It's hard to critique a college kid because, you know, 
they're they're playing for free. But Mike Palmer, he's high on the list of tackles because off- opposing offenses have been targeting him for weeks because he's struggling. So I wouldn't put him as someone that I would worry about. He just seems like, you know, I, one of the big issues with some of the big plays BC has had is Palmer's playing safety, and he's missed a few um, coverages, and he's missed, you know, backing up BC in that second level. So he's not one I would worry about. If I was going to look at a um, defensive player that would be someone you want to watch, it's Brandon Sebastian. He's a cornerback. Um, he hasn't made a ton of plays because opposing offenses have just been avoiding him. He's the he's become a lockdown cornerback for BC. He's six foot one, uh, you know, almost 190 pounds, and he can run a four five, four four. So he's fast, he's tall, um, and he has been pretty much locked down all year. So he'd be more of the guy that I would look at there. And you're right with Max Richardson. I think the guy that you're gonna want to look at, and he's still been he hasn't played this year yet, but Adazio has been kind of cagey about is Isaiah McDuffie. He had a knee injury in spring, um, but he's been rehabbing, and he should be back oh, either now or in the next week or so. And as he does press conference today, he kind of just kind of wasn't giving a straight answer on whether he'll be back or not. If he comes back, he's an elite linebacker, a uh, big playmaker, just really good nose for what's, you know, diagnosing plays and things like that. So if he can come back, he would be someone Rutgers fans might want to watch out for. So I think what has really benefited the defense as well has been the turnovers that they have forced. I believe seven interceptions on the year. They've caused nine turnovers overall. They had three picks in that Virginia Tech game to help edge out the Hokies 35-28. to What makes that secondary such ball hawks? What makes them so dangerous when the ball's in the air? They're fast. I think that's the big thing that BC looks at. I saw an article this week that said BC struggled against Kansas because their secondary was not fast. I don't think that was the issue at all. I think BC's got a couple guys on the corner with uh, Tate Haynes and, and Smith, who I mentioned already, who are both very, very fast out there. So those guys, they're going to make plays. And then you got some linebackers and guys up front. They just know they have a knack for the ball. I mean, we have a defensive tackle with an interception. We have linebackers with interceptions. So you got guys all over the place that just know where the ball is and they make plays. Now, Last week against Kansas, they had an interception on like the second play of the game. They didn't make any other turnovers the rest of the game, and that really hurt them. They needed to make some turnovers. So it's kind of feast or famine with that defense. So last week, I'm sure, is a game that all Boston College fans want to forget. 48-24 to home loss against Kansas. Many BC fans I saw were down on Steve Adazio after what was a positive start to the new season. Was Kansas just, were they able to do something that gave BC trouble, or was it more of the Eagles just not showing up come game time? It's a little column A, column B. I think BC, uh, it's just someone who's covered the team and watched this defense. I saw them a little glimpses of what we saw last week against Kansas, against Richmond. Now, Richmond's obviously an FBS squad, and BC was able to tighten up and finish them off. But what they were able to do at one point was to spread BC out and run the run pass option, the RPO, and, and really gash BC a couple drives. Now, Kansas, I think, must have watched that. They, they could, because the week before Kansas played Coastal Carolina, it didn't do any RPO. Because I, I, I did some game film coverage for a site called We Played, uh, where I watched it, and they were just doing like basic, you know, power eye back, you know, and double back sets. They decided they watched some BC film and installed an RPO, and Les Miles mentioned that. They saw something, and then they just 
they just thrash BC. And BC, one of the things about Adazio, and a lot of fans want him gone, one of the things that he does struggle with is in-game adjustments. So if an offense is really clicking against BC, they hardly ever are able to turn it around and shut that off and instead just continue to get gashed. And that's what happened last week. AJ, a couple more before I let you go. Like Chris Ash for Rutgers, Steve Adazio may also be on the hot seat. You know, it's a big game for both schools. Rutgers and Boston College, they recruit against one another a lot. They're former Big East foes, obviously regional rivals. How big is this game for the rest of the season for the Eagles and, of course, for Steve Adazio's future at Boston College? I have to say, for both of those questions, it's a must-win. They need to show to everyone that last weekend against Kansas was a fluke and that they've learned from their mistakes about what, you know, just complete lack of coverage and, and terrible defense. But that was just a fluke. So they gotta they gotta set a you know set the tone against a, you know against Rutgers and really play some good defense against a team that I, I you know some of the things I've watched can run the ball at points. I they have Pacheco. Um, you know I watched you know some of his stuff and you know he had a good game against UMass. He had four touchdowns. That worries me because BC has not last week they had two running backs you know uh, Puka Williams and Khalil Herbert who ran for 350 yards against this defense. So if BC can't go out there and stop the run, that's a big problem with teams like Wake Forest and Clemson and Florida State and Notre Dame coming up that all have good running offenses. So I think that's going to be a big test for BC. In terms of Adazio, if they lose against Kansas and Rutgers, uh, and again, no offense to you guys, he's got to be on the hot seat. I know from conversations that I've had and, and things that we've been talking about uh, with, you know, in some of the, my sources at BC, like, he's got to continue to push this program in the right direction. And if they lose two, to two teams that have struggled, you know, historically and in the past, that's not going to be good. And especially before they really start opening up that ACC schedule, I, I could see this, this season falling apart really quickly and his job would definitely be in jeopardy. So, AJ, last one before I let you go. Boston College, they opened up as, I believe, a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. They're obviously coming off a tough loss. Rutgers had the extra bye week to prepare. In your mind, who do you think will come out victorious Saturday afternoon? So, I saw Vegas open this up as a seven-and-a-half-point spread, and I am going to go ahead and say that it's not going to be— I wouldn't pick BC in terms of the spread. I'm going to say BC's going to win by, like, four. in a close game. I think Rutgers is obviously, it's a big, big deal, as you mentioned before, for your, for your program as well. Um, and I think they're going to play BC hard. I just think in the end, BC, uh, I, I do trust one thing, you know, people rip on Daz. One of the things that I, I, he does do well is when the team falls apart one week, he has been able to pick them up and fix them the, the week after. So I think he'll be able to fix things enough to escape Rutgers at uh, the game against Rutgers with a win. The editor-in-chief of BC Maven, A.J. Black. A.J., thanks so much for coming on and giving me some time to talk Boston College football. All right, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I want to thank James Cratch and A.J. Black for coming on the podcast this week to talk Rutgers football and Boston College football. You know, both echoed similar sentiments that we all knew going into this game. Two coaches on the hot seat. Two seasons that can go one way or another depending on the result. Two teams obviously looking to rise above one another for various reasons. For Rutgers, this is the big one so early in the year. I think what's most important, besides of course winning, is keeping the fan base. And frankly, that only comes with a win on Saturday. 
the fan base, they want to be there for this team. We saw that for the UMass game. But Coach Ash and this team, they have critics, and those critics will only get louder and louder with each loss. Rutgers legitimately matches up with Boston College. Talent-wise, size-wise, this isn't going to be like two weeks ago with Iowa where in the trenches, Rutgers was just dominated. But it's on Rutgers ultimately to show up and to do their job. I know there's been a lot of negativity, but we all wish for the opposite. I mean, let's be real. We all wish that this program was surrounded by positivity. So you know what? Let's hope. Let's hope that come Saturday at 3 p.m. when the clock hits double zero in the fourth quarter, that the score leads in favor of the Scarlet Knights and Rutgers comes away with a win because that win has the opportunity and has the potential to really inject some positivity into the season and to get a little bit of excitement going here on the Banks. Follow On the Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On the Banks Podcast.